640 Toronto presents Think Tank, the breaking stories you care about. Please tell me. Okay, I'll tell you. The backstories you don't know yet. That's my question! Facts and opinions that get you through your day. You never know what you're going to get. And now let's meet the guests. 15 degrees right now in downtown Toronto and a beautiful sunny day ahead of 22 degrees. So more mild than this time last week. And we've got Anna Bailau, former deputy mayor, in studio with us. Thank you for coming back. Good morning. Great to be here. You know, it's nice that we got a well, we don't have a great view of the sky, but soon enough, if you keep coming back week after week, it'll be still dark at this time. Let's not talk about it's it. It's a nice dour. Enjoy it while gloom. it lasts. I got both things covered, doom and gloom. And Ben Mulroney <laughs> yes. is here with us as well. I shaved this morning for you, Greg, and then I remembered this is radio. Do you, there's always that risk with shaving. I was taught by my dad early on, shave the night before, especially when you're younger and you're going to have those little cuts on your face when you're not good at it in the early days. My dad told me back when I was, I had darker hair and I was swarthier. (laughs) He said, shave twice a day. Yeah, you don't want to look unkempt. We've never, I don't know, Anna, we've watched Ben on television. I'm just happy we've that you guys up, are we... talking about this and it's not uh, that uh, women are not wearing makeup. So keep going, keep going. I but think this is very fair. We've, we've, we've watched Ben grow up before our very eyes on television, but I don't ever remember seeing you with a five o'clock shadow. So did you have one this morning and you just said, I'm going to erase that, I, that image from I Anna's did. brain I said, and I said, my brain? I said, you know brain? what, today I'm going to show up in a nice sweater. I'm going to do my hair. I'm going to go wear a baseball hat this time. I'm going to show Greg he deserves the respect of a proper host Thank you. who's bringing me into his home. Have you ever done Movember? Oh no, I don't have that kind I, of I don't have that kind of uh, mustache. Mine mine is the type that would get me put on some sort of watch list. Right. I look like some kind of like yeah. French um yeah. in, private investigator no by bueno. about November 25th. And you're not even allowed to grow it into a goatee, Anna. They want just they don't want any other it has to be a mustache. Mine's, you can do a Fu Manchu. Yeah, mine's wispy. Yeah, wispy. See, and that would creepy. be something to look forward to November <laughs> to come here and see you both uh, wear <laughs> under, under the cover of darkness. Um, we were talking off air about it, so how can we not talk about it on air, Anna? A ton of talk about this Zelensky visit on Friday, but it's not about the the gravitas and his courage in the last eighteen months, or his speech, or even even debating the money being allotted. It's about the ninety uh, eight year old guest that ended up in the House of Commons. His uh, daughter-in-law had tweeted or had um, Facebooked about it the day before, and he seems to have been there as a guest of the House Speaker, Anthony Rhoda, who apologized for this yesterday. But there just must be a lot more to the vetting process than just, well, it's it's Anthony Rhoda plus one. It's got a lot of complexities to it, this story. It does. And it's uh, it, it's infuriating that what we should be talking about here today is Zelensky's speech and the impact that it has and how Canada is helping Ukraine and how, you know, we're asking our residents to do more and to, and to step up. And, and that's why he came here to thank Canadians and to uh, ask to for the continued support to to Ukraine. And all we're talking about is is this visit that had such an impact in our communities here, you know, you, you've, you've heard from the Jewish community right away, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. And you've, you know, you know that Zelensky is Jew himself, so obviously uh, it had an impact on the visit and, and on him personally. I have no doubt about it. Uh, so I think there's that we need our prime minister right away to do two things. Apologize to Canadians, and in particular Jewish Canadians, and the prime minister, uh, and the president Zelensky, sorry, mm-hmm. and... Uh, initiate a review of this process. Yes. How does this happen? Mm-hmm. Like, like, let's initiate this. This needs to change. That it, it's the bare minimum that can happen. Is is just it's not. It was the speaker's role. It was not this. 
it doesn't matter now. Doesn't matter. Change it. The, the, the more I read about this, Greg, the more it makes my blood boil. And the more it makes me, I'm more and more comfortable saying this is probably one of the most embarrassing things that has happened to our country in the House of Commons in history. I, I, I can't imagine a confluence of more embarrassing um, notes than, than what we have here. The fact that Zelensky is... Uh, is of, of the Jewish faith, the fact that this is taking place over Yom Kippur, the fact that this is our most sacred institution, uh, the fact that Ukraine is currently, they are about to um, enter their second very cold Eastern European winter fighting um, Russian aggression, and they are asking Canadians to dig deeper. This really muddies the waters. Don't forget that when, when the invasion first took place, one of the most, the primary planks of Putin's justification was the denazification of Ukraine. This helps those voices for the fire. speak louder. Yeah. And we need to be speaking with a clear voice saying we are supporting Ukraine and their fight against Russian aggression. And we've just given ammunition to the other side. And it's I'm, I'm, I'm actually shaking a little bit right now yeah. how, how angry I am at this. And yeah. that's that, that's where the story is getting picked up is in Russia, right? Yeah. They're the ones that are taking full advantage. Of Told this. you they were Nazis. Told yeah. you. Yeah. And so that's why it is imperative that our government takes action right away, comes, denounce this at the highest level. Uh, I know that the speaker I read, the speaker had uh, apologized. It's, it's it's not good enough. We we need to have this at the highest level. The, the due diligence and the vetting Anna, is something that I think everybody at every level of political office has to deal with. The mayor of Toronto would, you as deputy mayor would have. And, and we were talking as well about the notion that people are going to ask for, you know, selfies nowadays. They'll ask for even uh, an autograph. And you can't possibly have a sense. We could put a guest on the air and then two days later find out, ah, oh, there's some unacceptable things that they sent out via social media or something that we didn't vet out all the way. So it's a mistake learned. You explain it and you can't let it happen again. But that's not what this is. This momentous uh, an occasion. This wasn't accidentally inviting somebody to Remembrance Day that you should have, which would still be embarrassing. This is more than that. Absolutely. You, you can't st stop somebody from coming and taking a selfie nowadays with a politician. But this was somebody that was called out. It was called a hero. It was it had a couple of standing ovations and and the the. The, the, the vetting needs yeah. to be changed. Can, can, can you imagine important. if you had been a guest in the gallery of the House of Commons and you were a Jew and you had been invited by the House of Commons to be there and you were told in that moment, this is a person to revere. This is a person to respect. This is a person for you to stand up and applaud. Could you imagine as a Jewish person how you would feel after finding out that you had stood because mm. your government told you to for a Nazi it, uh, during Yom Kippur? That, to, to me, my, I, my wife is Jewish and she doesn't want to talk about this. She will not talk about this with me. She, it makes her so, so angry. And uh, one other point, this is a government that has gotten too comfortable calling people they don't like Nazis and they then invite an actual Nazi into the House of Commons. They need to take a moment. They need to take a beat, figure out what's going on, um, look themselves in the mirror and have a come to Jesus moment. How did she find out about it? Your wife? Like everybody else on social media or friends told her. I mean, it's, this is this is this is and it's everywhere today. This is not yeah. a story going away. Yeah, it, it, it is one of those scenarios where, um, look, we all love our country. But on the global scene, Anna, like like, again, these are there's things we used to puff our chests out about and be proud about. And even a moment like this just feels like it's it's, you know, it's stepping on a rake and it clunks you in the forehead as as for 40 million of us, really, for this. It, it The eyes were on Canada. Right. Yeah. Zelensky mm -hmm. was here. He had just come from the United States. And and it makes you think this is a mature hour. Right. It right makes here. us look unserious.
it makes us look like we don't take the small things seriously enough. Well, and, and I'm, you know, not to be. A, and by a, small, I mean the vetting process. Y- like, yeah. that's a gimme. Not to be any kind of World War II snob, because we all forget history because we're living our everyday lives. But if, if in World War II you fought against the Russians, who do you think you were fighting with? Like, it's, it's just it's yeah. that simple. Like, history is not the same as in 1943 as it is yeah. in 2023. The Russians at points have been, quote unquote, good guys. Yeah. And in World War II, they weren't our enemy. They were they were trying to help the allied forces. Um, it's one of those scenarios where uh, when we last left on Monday last week, uh, we weren't even talking about this India scenario. Here's a reminder of the allegation. The prime minister stood up. Parliament resumed. And he said this about a murder that occurred in Surrey, B.C. in June of this year. Over the past number of weeks, Canadian security agencies have been actively pursuing credible allegations of a potential link between agents of the government of India and the killing of a Canadian citizen, Hardeep Singh Nijar. And that was Monday afternoon last week. Anna, it's a rather remarkable occurrence. Um, There clearly has been, we talk about vetting, there's clearly been vetting and evidence and CSIS has been involved. Um, But I think we're really curious to see where this goes and and how it affects as well, I think, our our Hindu, our our Sikh communities to make sure that there isn't too much of a rush to judgment. We have to let facts play out. And right now, it's still a week later. We know very little. Um, I mean, the facts and the impact on those families are being felt. I mean, we hear stories on a daily basis of people that, you know, had weddings and funerals, investments and, you know, want to do business with India and, and they can't they can't do it anymore. I can't help. But think um, the pressure the prime minister was under because of what had happened with the Chinese influence, that he was under pressure to come out clean. But was there a conversation that happened with the leaders of the opposition to say, we're going to put this out there? We're going to I mean, I can't think that they wouldn't think this would escalate things to a total different level. Like you're out there in the House of Commons, you come out and you say, India most likely did this. Yeah. <laughs> like it's you're going to escalate things. It was this something that was even talked about as well before could have this been done in a different way as as a national security risk that it is. Was there a conversation around this? How do you balance national security and the interests, the economic interests of this country and uh, the community, the relationships between our residents and between our two countries. And I don't know that that balance really was reached. I I don't know that the prime minister could have done it any differently. This information, from what I understand, was uh, it was drip, drip, dripping out. Uh, I think he needed to say something. And uh, I have to believe that if the prime minister took the step, the, the important step to make this statement, knowing full well the pushback that we were going to get from India, uh, it's because he was operating off of credible information. Uh, there, to, to me, there's, there's no other way to look at it. And this is probably the least partisan um, uh, topic we're going to be talking about today. Mm-hmm. The idea that a Canadian citizen could have been assassinated in Canada by another country. That is something that everybody from across the political spectrum can and should agree on. And so, you know, I do I do hope that moving forward, information is shared across party lines with the um, um, with, in good faith and received in good faith by all the parties. I hope they do not take it and turn it into a political football, uh, because this is a very, very delicate issue that that will have negative ramifications on all sorts of aspects in our lives. You know, dealing with, with trade with India is a big deal for yeah, this country. Yeah. Uh, 
immigration, uh, travel, tourism, all of these things are very, very important. And if we're going down this path, I believe it's because we must. And it, I, I yeah, have no doubt that that the, there was very credible information. I, I agree with Ben on that. For sure, it was credible information. Um, I, 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 I'm just um, not 100% sure that it it. It should have done, uh, been done the way that that it was, um, because now you have India and everybody just asking for more and more and more information, and uh, and I I certainly hope that, like you said, all three parties uh, do come together and and do the fend the yeah. due diligence that needs to happen around this and the process so that the situation doesn't escalate. Yeah, the, more. the government shouldn't be fighting this as a two front war with dealing with issues with India and then dealing with opposition here in exactly. Canada. I think I think in a situation like this. I hope the prime minister's office is able to bring the opposition parties into the fold as much as possible um, so that they can understand what's going on again. And I'm going based on my assumption yeah. that this is credible information. Uh, but but if that can happen, then we can all row in the same direction. And whatever pain we feel as a nation due to this, um, we all mm. agree this is pain we have to endure to get the justice that is required. Yeah. And like Jody Thomas flew there four times. So she is as, as in tight as anybody would be as far as our security goes. And she says, I shared information. I asked questions like you don't go to India four times, Anna, without being on the on the trail or something. And in India, obviously, says they know nothing about it. And that will happen. Yeah. Look, the United States, it's it's funny because the United States would say, oh, people have been meddling in our elections. I think we know the U.S. has been meddling in other people's elections for just Central America, Asia, they they like their sphere of influence. That's that's the concept. We'll bring it closer to home here. We've got, of course, Ben Mulroney and Abilow with us on Think Tank on 640 Toronto. It's 749 on this Monday morning. Um, I read this from Robert Benzie, well-sourced, uh, clearly within the Ford government. But here's the headline. We'll start with you, Anna. We're in danger. Quote, the inside story of Doug Ford and his unhappy MPP's summer of misery and popularity, as you know, in politics ebbs and flows. But the concept seems to be uh, MPP's sharing with the premier, which may have resulted in Thursday's Greenbelt reversal. We don't want to lose our jobs. We don't want to lose our status. Having a massive majority government and a huge mandate from the public last June, things are starting to splinter a little bit. How do you view it? Um. Well, this premier has the incredible capacity to reverse course and to say, I am sorry, and to say I was wrong. And uh, that's not common in politics, but we have seen him doing it on a few occasions. And and it has uh, gotten lots of support from people in the past. And I think that's what they're hoping to have uh, happening again. I think MPs felt that that needed to happen right now. They were going down the right, the wrong path. Yes, there's still, you know, almost three years before the next election, but there needed to be an attitude change towards certain issues, in particular the green belt. Otherwise, this thing is just going to go on. And it's the attitude towards those issues, the development, the green belt. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with the municipalities? How you all this? I think was felt that needed to change, and uh, we got a signal that uh, uh, that is it's it's about to change. Time will tell. Uh, this time, I think that he was also pushed into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if if. Um, he had done this earlier. I think it would have been much better for him, to be honest with you. Um, you know, in hindsight, we always do. We, we can always talk a lot and, and say uh, different things. But uh, 
Uh, this is an issue that has been going on now for months, and I don't think it's going to go anywhere. It's yeah. going to stay here for a few more months. Media's yeah. still after it. There's sure. going to be still a lot of articles written about these issues. Yeah. Ben, ben, on that front, I mean, I think some of Doug Ford's political opponents, they can't say it publicly, but privately, think about putting yourself in that position. Let's say you're Mart Styles. Let's say you're John Fraser. Let's say you're a Bonnie Crombie, Nader Smith, and, and you want to target Doug Ford in the next election. Are you almost a little disappointed? Because you wanted to hold this over yeah, I mean, him for month after month and year not, after year. We're not going to the polls until 2026. So if 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 the one thing they were going to uh, hang their hats on was something that happened this year, good luck good to luck. you. Yeah. Look, it's, 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 a, it's a fun headline. Um, and uh, before we all get the vapors on this, we should remember that you know grass is green, water is wet, and Robert Benzie is going to bend. Like that's, that, that's, <laughs> that's what happens here. Yeah. Um, he's got a crushing majority and he's got a lot of time before the next election. Um, but the, there's the saying, when you're in a hole, stop digging, right? And my father used to say that the most important relationship that he had to tend to on a weekly basis, daily basis, was his caucus. Because without the support of your caucus, there is nothing you can accomplish as a government. It doesn't matter if you've got a majority of 40 or four. Because without those people supporting you, you cannot uh, enact your legislation, your agenda, your plan to make the lives of your constituents better. So I believe that that uh, step one is going to be tending to those relationships, making sure that he has the support of his caucus. And then it's about putting distance between this and the next thing and finding finding a way to show the people who may be doubting you, the people who may be on the fence, the people who may say, no, this is who you are, showing them that, no, that's not the case. I can learn from my mistakes in the past. I can show you that we're going to do things differently as I promised I would. And if he can do those things, then 2026 is a long way away. So how, how much does but it... You, how but, 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 yeah. MPPs are just coming back. Yeah. They spent the whole summer in their communities listening from their communities. So this is something they were listening, they were feeling in their communities, and that's why they came back and said, yeah. we need to change. It's out there. And when you start feeling it in there, there's no bigger pressure than when you start going to your coffee shop and constituents come up to yep. you and start talking about these issues. So you're almost insulated in Toronto, in in provincial parliament or in Ottawa, in federal. You're almost insulated from your communities. Of course, they can email you and of course they can ask for a phone call, but you're they can't come right up to you on the street but, at a know, barbecue at a restaurant MPs and, and go, MP I don't like this policy. Yeah, usually MPs and MPPs go back on the weekends, but obviously mm -hmm. they, they were away, I think, 15 weeks or something like that. So th there was a long time that a lot of them were doing things in their community. And I am mm. sure that they they're, they were hearing about these issues and how upset uh, people were about mm -hmm. these issues and that a change needed to happen. And, yeah. Yeah, a, ahead, a, a leader's capacity to both listen and lead uh, it d determines their future, right? If you can be a leader and lead your uh, your M MPPs to where you want them to go, all while listening to what really matters to them. If you can balance those two things, that's a recipe for success. So you mentioned your father. Did he have to listen? He had to take every MP's concern seriously and say, I can do this for you. I can't handle this right now. This oh. is not where we're going. This is where we're going. Listen, if I... There's 169 I, if, if MPs I, in 1988. If I had the secret sauce as to what my dad did to keep his, uh, his, his caucus on side... I would consider running, but it's a very special skill that only a few people have. Look, I, mm -hmm. I know for a fact that after a lot of elections, provincially, uh, uh, municipally, uh, federally, mm. there are there are leaders from all sorts of walks of life, all different parties who have reached out to my father to say, how did you do it? I find myself now with a caucus far bigger than I expected, with a lot of people that I did not expect that would win. How do I keep this? How do I keep cohesion in this group? How do I keep us all rowing in the same direction? And he's always been very generous with that um, 
with that advice. So, Greg, if you decide to run one day and you find yourself with a crushing majority, give my dad a call and I'm sure he will give you the secret sauce. Right now, 48% of listeners approve of me. So it's not <laughs> Ben. There's, and, and that might win an election. It's not going to it's not going to win the day. And let's get to Ontario Place on this front, too, because it was such a, a passionate issue during the mayoral campaign. Some people are saying, well, he moved on the green belt. Could he move on Ontario Place and, and the spa as well? I, I think he's working with the city uh, on on there has been some movement. There has been a revised application. Um, I don't think we'll see this completely scrapped as some people would want. I think that uh, the government feels very strongly that and and a lot of people do. I mean, I've seen some polling uh, around this issue that actually people do want uh, activity at Ontario Place. They want to have uh, family fun. They want to have a park, but they also want to have some uh, uh, sort of activity that they can go and be being a concert or uh, uh, some activity that they can go to. So yeah. I think that uh, he'll work as, uh, as much with planning and the city, uh, but I can see it him completely reversing mm. course uh, on, on this issue. Let's shift. Uh, we've got a few minutes left. Let's shift to Young Dundas Square. Yeah. Um, and it was a big story uh, on the weekend. And anybody who's walked through there knows we've, we were talking about how cities have changed and, and adapted and maybe not for the better. Ben, when you're in that square, you know what that used to be like. Yeah. Pulse of the city, huge energy concerts, big screens to watch big events down there. Absolutely. I, used to, I hosted Canadian Idol events there. I hosted concerts, uh, Christmas caroling events, uh, contests, you name it. I spent a lot of time at Young Dundas Square. Where at in its heyday, it has it's past its 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 expiration date at this point. And you know, just for fun this weekend, I went online. I think I googled reimagining Young Dundas Square, and there was a there was a, a group of students who had reimagined what it could look like. And 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 with not a little effort, with not a lot of effort, you could make that thing reengageable again. Uh, putting a, for lack of a better expression, a nice green belt around it. Put some mm-hmm. actual seating in there. Uh, a sunken in amphitheater. These were some of the ideas that people came up with. But it's dirty. It's grimy. It's um. It's dangerous and for Greg, a lot of people. If, if I could add, uh, it, it's also a symptom of what's happening in downtown yeah. Toronto. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the first thing that needs to be addressed is the state yeah. of downtown Toronto and the issues that need to be dealt with. Um, and then second, like like Ben was saying, the physical aspect and then programming. We yeah. have such a vibrant arts uh, community and entertainment community. We need more programming in there. So I think it's the three things that yeah. need to happen. It, well, you know, safety yeah. in the state of the downtown, the public, the physical public realm state, and then the programming. Well, I read that article that was sent out uh, yeah. about this, and, and there was one thing that stuck in my mind, and I'd love to get some more information on it. They said that there hasn't been a major sponsor of Young Dundas Square for a few years now. There there were two that came forward, but were turned down because they didn't subscribe to the values of the city. I have no idea what that means, and I would love to know what are the values of the city, What are the who are these sponsors, and, and why don't they align? Because if there is a way to bring them a little closer together, shouldn't we try? Shouldn't some private money come in to help solve this very public problem? Like, Anna, you'd know better than the two of us. The city owns the square, but they can... And, they had, and there's a board of directors uh, that manages uh, the squares, board nominated by uh, city council as well. So there should be programming. There should be uh, more happening in, in in the square as well. But there is a money issue. Yeah. And and there's always... It's it's always an issue with city council and, yeah. and private money. And, and I think we... Ha- we, we need to move on from that and uh, and actually see how we can, you know, partner better yeah. with I, our, well, exactly. the private sector in our city. I, I would like to know who those sponsors were. I'd like to know what the values of this city are before uh, we simply say, oh, your money's no good. We don't want it. Because if, if they came they if they came forward with a check and that check could do some good, 
I'd like to really exhaust every avenue before I turn it down. Like, let's listen, for all I know, they really yeah. might not have been a good fit, but I don't know that for sure. And I'd like to know. So the city you're saying shouldn't shouldn't be bashful or hesitant to, to seek out private enterprise to say, what would you like to do with this area or this pocket of the square? No, and we've seen really good examples of uh, philanthropy in, in our city. I mean, look at Bentway, for example. Yeah. It was done with, you know, it, it, it was a foundation was created, but it was private money. How can yeah. we do more of that yeah. and not be afraid of, of, of this uh, sponsorship money? Like it's, yeah. it's, these are businesses that employ people in our city that make money from the residents of our city and that should be contributing to, to our city as well. Hear that loud and clear and we'll keep talking about it. Time flies. This felt like it went faster yeah. than last week, yeah. but it was the three minutes of male shaving issues, I think, that got <laughs> us got us started, yeah. for better or worse. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Anna Bailau, Ben Mulroney, really appreciate you both in. See you next week. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.